0: More than 60,000 children in the Illinois foster care system have been stuck in a cycle of being shuffled from place to place. Some children have been moved over 20 times. That's according to a new CBS2 investigation led by reporter Dave Savini. And he joins us now. Welcome back to Reset, Dave.
1: It's great to see you, and I'm excited to be on the uh, program.
0: Yeah, well, I want to start with the big question. Why are foster kids being moved so much?
1: Well, we've we've uncovered uh, a trend uh that has been going on for over 30 years um and as you know many people know that the department of children and family services has been under a federal consent decree uh ordered by a court to uh change some of these disturbing patterns and one of the patterns was was repeatedly moving children they've been told to stop doing that um going back to 19 early, the early 90s mm-hmm. um the the answer, I don't know what the answer is, is why they continue to move these children the way they do. Um, some people will say that, uh, the, the you know, there's not enough uh, beds. There's not enough foster homes. There's not enough uh, group homes. There's not enough um, uh, other types of facilities to take these kids. And so... They just do like uh stop, get, you know, like Band-Aid approaches, move them I here, see. move them there, put them in a shelter.
0: When we say they're being moved around, where are they going, Dave?
1: It really depends on how you come into the system. If you come into the system um, and you've been abused or neglected or you have um, maybe some mental health issues, um, you could come into to the system through a hospital, and then you could come into the system through a foster home. Um you may end up in an emergency shelter for a little while, uh, and then it just kind of it just steamrolls from there. Mm. And you know, Illinois is one of the we're rock bottom uh, worst state in in the nation for uh, reunifying children with their with their own families in the first year. Wow! So you know we got to get better in this state, and billion plus dollars goes into this agency. You said we're
0: rock bottom, so we're last.
1: The last uh, survey they did in twenty, I think it was twenty eighteen. They do it every so many years. But um, bottom, bottom of everybody, and so we, you know, we wanted to dig into this, and we, we, we fought for data. It's DCFS's own data, and what we wanted to do. Every kid has a unique ID number. We don't know who the kids are. It's just a way to sort the data because they've always said, "Oh, we have privacy issues. We can't tell you." Well, we say, "Okay, just give every kid a number," you know, and then we'll we'll, we'll look for trends and look for things. And so we started analyzing. This data, nobody in the federal government is analyzing how or monitoring them for how often kids are moved. Mm. Um, and uh, there, there's a segment of this of this group that, you know, uh, 20,000 kids over the last couple decades have been moved so many times. I'm not talking like two or three times. I'm talking like 10 times. You know, and then we get the cases like Mallory Stout, who we focused on, or Carnell Brown. Carnell was moved thirty times. yeah Mallory sixty seven times
0: well, actually, let's let's meet Mallory. Let's hear a little bit of her story in her words.
1: I was essentially caged and treated like an animal. I repeatedly would eat out of the garbage can at uh, my daycare. Just one day they picked me up from school and um they just dropped me in another place. In the middle of the night, they just dropped me off at this DCFS worker's house.
0: So pick up where you left off. Tell us more about Mallory's experience in the system.
1: So Mallory uh, comes into the system when she's a 4-year-old. She's being neglected and abused at home. Uh, She ends up in a hospital, and they end up uh, putting her into uh, a couple of long-term hospital stays. They find her a foster mom um, out of Rockford, who takes her in, and she has a really good four years. Um, so she's around eight years old, nine years old at the time, uh, that she finds out that that foster mom becomes ill, uh, medically ill, cannot take care of her, and she has to give her back up to the system. Um, and from there, it wasn't good. Mm. It was home after home. I mean, listening to her describe
0: the experience there, I mean, she's moved 67 times across a 17-year period.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot, and we and we actually were able to locate her unique ID number, um, because she helped us figure it out. We had all the places she stayed, so we could find that kid. We know what year they're born. We know what uh, whether they're male or female, and we know the month and year of their birthday. So we can, if we have a kid who's you know aged out of the system, we can actually find them in the data. If we know enough about where they went. Okay. Because we get, we are told some of the institutions and hers were very unique. So we found her and sure enough, 67 times.
0: How did those constant disruptions affect Mallory?
1: You know, that's the perfect word, disruption, right? Imagine not having a childhood. Imagine not having any friends. Uh, you know, Carnell Brown, um, he, he says he, he has, he has no friends. You know, he can't, you can't build relationships. You, you don't want to build a relationship. Because you're gonna move again. You have the inability to trust. Mm. Um, and then the vicious cycle continues. Often if you start getting moved that many times, 10, and you get into the teens and maybe 20 homes, you're, you're what, you know, we call a lifer. You're gonna be someone that's gonna stay in the system and you're not gonna get adopted. Mm. Um, and you're just gonna be living in the system your whole life.
0: What else can you tell us about Carnell Brown's experience?
1: Well, so Carnell Brown, um, you know, he made it out. He he'd been in some bad situations. Um, he he got into um, his he was taken away from his mom when he was about six years old, and he was put. You know, <laughs> interesting enough, when we talk about Mallory, we talk about Carnell, and, and and all the other ones we interviewed, they said that they were better off in the home, their biological homes, where the abuse was occurring than in the system in the wow. end the devil you know versus the devil you don't know and so that's an interesting that's pr- perspective. pretty powerful yeah, yeah and, that, and that really shows you where the holes are and and the damage that can be done and carnell now he's um he's trying to make it he's uh he's in his early 20s he's living down in the springfield area he's playing semi-pro football and um and, you know, I've stayed in touch with these. I met 14 of them that aged out. They're, they're part of an alumni association okay. of foster kids. And um, we stay in touch, and we've been tracking their lives. So we go back, and we, we knew we were going to find the data. We wanted to keep on. Like last time I talked, um, the piece I did in December and in, in November was about abuse claims mm-hmm. made against foster parents. We got the database on that, and 90% of the time, the abuse claims and neglect claims were unfounded. Now that's a really high rate—ninety percent wow. unfounded.
0: And I'm curious in all of these avenues that you're 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 looking into. Do you notice any difference in how boys and girls navigate the system?
1: You know, it, it's it. I have spoken to uh, young women who get into the system, and then if when they get into their teens, if they're not adopted they're often, I've heard the stories and I've talked to the ones who get, they get, they end up in foster homes so that they can take care of all the other foster kids, you know, wash them, bathe them, you know, make them their bre everybody cook for everybody. Yeah. They're basically, you know, free labor and, uh, actually state representative Lakeisha Collins. Um, she was part of, she's trying to be part of the solution and she was in one of the stories we did. She grew up in the system and, um, and that that's what happened to her. She knows firsthand. She was used to do that. And, uh, you know, it, it. but young women, um, they face different challenges. One of the things that both uh, the, the, the young men and the young women face is when you uproot them from home to home to institution to institution, they also start, they change their schools. So now you're also changing curriculums. You, you know, Mallory was in three different high schools in one year. You know like it's she couldn't keep up with the different curriculums.
0: That's unthinkable. yeah. H- how long do children often spend in the system?
1: So uh, nationally, 15 months is about how long a kid is going to spend in in, a, uh, in the foster care system on average across the country, if you look at all the states. in Illinois, 36 months. so we're more than double. Um, you know, uh, than than the than the other states, uh, they, you know, they try to they want to get you out within a year, you know, back with your families, reunify if they can, or find you a home. Hmm. Um, that's why we looked at the data. I see. We looked at the data because we wanted to see how Illinois really was doing, and you know, you know, we found thousands and thousands of kids that were in had been in the system for, you know, more than a decade. Uh. It's four, a third of the kids in our, we looked at 150,000 kids that had been in the system over the last few decades. And about 60, 50 something thousand of them had more than four different homes. Wow. And more than four years in the system. So four years. That's telling. In a temporary, what's supposed to be just a temporary placement.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about a CBS2 investigation into the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services, or DCFS. It examines how tens of thousands of foster children, they've been stuck in a cycle of being moved from place to place. And we're joined now by CBS2 investigative reporter Dave Savini. You mentioned earlier, Dave, that uh, DCFS received a federal consent decree ordering it to stop the, quote, repeated moving of children. How in the world is the system still able to do this?
1: It shouldn't be, right? There should be a way to fix it. And, um, you know, that's why we're doing this investigation. We're trying to find the problems. And, And they've never been transparent with their records. And, you know, the sad thing is the only time we find out about a kid, anything specific about a kid in the system, is when they're dead. Then they can give us the timeline. They can tell us everything we wanted to get ahead of that of course and so by by doing this full examination of all of their data and finally getting them to release it to us we found problems we if you, it's basically if you don't do, if you don't audit yourself you're not going to get better and so we wanted to we wanted to shine the light on dcfs and see what was happening and you know one of the things we found was that they weren't keeping track or making it um obtainable uh, how often they've referred abuse cases to police
0: you couldn't get that information
1: they wouldn't give it to us and um and so we've been fighting for that and now they're telling us they're giving it to us so you know we're, we're it's a constant battle
0: it's a push and pull there how can the illinois dcfs work to minimize this problem dave
1: well that's really up to the experts that you know are looking at this i mean um, some people will say that I've spoken to that you really have to look at certain zip codes. Um, you have to look at uh, programs. It's a, it takes an entire community. You have to reach out in those communities. You have to have um, uh, the the churches have to be involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, the schools have to be involved. It, it, it really it takes a it does take a village. It does and. So if you could look at some of the zip codes where most of the kids come from, and then you look at those kids that are in the system and they're in that pocket that they can't get out, you that 10 to 20,000 kids that are in that revolving door of homes, and they don't have the perfect foster home, they didn't get adopted right away, those kids that are stuck. if you figure out how to reach out to them, fix them, and then, you know, the averages, you know, might change.
0: What about foster parents? What's their role in all of
1: this? Well, you know, there there, there is a, a lot of people say there's not enough good foster homes. There's a lot of great foster parents out there. Um, it's just, you know, sometimes the good foster parents also get tired of the system. And they, uh, I spoke to one foster family. They brought in, uh, they took in three children who were brothers, all brothers, and the, they were thriving and, um, they started to really, really connect with those kids and they were hoping to adopt them. And then after a, two years of thriving and after coming from an abusive home where one of their other siblings was actually killed by a family member, they put those kids back, reunified them with a, with a biological grandparent, it took the kids away like overnight and, That that family, that foster family, was like, you know what, I I, we can't do this. This is too hard. Mm. This is too hard for us. We we really cared for those kids, and we, you know. Gosh,
0: I would think that that happens often.
1: Well, the goal is to get the kids back to their, uh, you know, biological, you know, either their parents, one parent, or maybe even a grandparent or an aunt or something like that. Um, The goal is to get kids out of the system, whether it's in an adoptive home or back to their own biological home. That's why we wanted to look into the numbers. That's why we wanted to see how many kids were you know, stuck in that horrible cycle yeah. of going from home to home to home. There were 44 kids in that data that were in over 100 different homes, institutions, hospitals, shelters.
0: 100. One,
1: 44 kids in 100. When Mallory was 67 times, there were 320 other kids that were 67 times. I more.
0: don't even know how that's possible.
1: Yeah, and then wow. so you look at a case like that and you learn a lot from a kid like Mallory. You know, Mallory said, you know, she she at the end you have nothing. You know, in the middle of the night you're told to pack all your stuff, you throw it in a garbage bag. They they move in garbage bags. They actually, I think they, there was a bill that was passed that they have to provide kids a suitcase now. But they used to have to just load up a garbage bags. bag. Yeah. And then they lost a little piece of themselves with every move. She had one thing that she was keeping. It was a friendship bracelet that at one of her... Uh, friends gave her during one of those 67 moves. Oh and it was torn off of her ankle after she wet the bed in a home um, that she was in. And they took the mattress off the bed, made her sleep on the bars, and they t- ripped it from her ankle. And she started to cry when she told me the story because something that small is really s- significant. And when you think of that bracelet, it really symbolizes the part of her that was lost to the system. And um, What a so.
0: horrific experience. You have looked into this now, the, the kids moving over and over again, foster children. Last fall, we talked about how you looked into those claims around abuse and neglect, allegations uh, against foster parents. What do you plan on looking into next?
1: Well, we're continuing to analyze the data. Um, we did want to find out how many caseworkers one of the other problems these kids tell us is not only do they go from home to home, but they have a revolving door of caseworkers. And so they never really get to know the person that's their caseworker. Some of the caseworkers are really good. Some really are overburdened and some don't care. Some didn't want to hear about their, you know, allegations of abuse. Uh, one of the things that they, they're, you know, you can't interview a kid in front of the foster parent if you, they're supposed to be talked to them separately. And, um, they would say they would do it right in front of the foster parent and the foster parent would look at the kids and they would say, you know what, when we get home, you know, cause they would tell them, you know, she's, they slapped me, they beat me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the kids, Yeah, you Yeah, that's tough. That's, yeah you're, you're saying it in front of the foster parent. So, um, caseworkers, we want to see what the average caseworker is. Um, we want to see, you know, who's going to come forward with the legislation and I want to know what governor Pritzker is going to do. I mean, the buck stops there. Um, you you know, this is an agency that's had, I don't know how many directors in the last 19 directors in the last couple of 20 years. You know, the the answer always was fire the director. Yeah. (laughs) That's not the answer. You know, you just, just fire the director.
0: Um, well, you'll have your hands tied. That is for sure. Dave Savini, CBS two investigative reporter. You can find, The full investigation online at cbsnews.com. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome.